Welcome to the podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and tune in. Make sure to join us each Sunday at 9 on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. in English and 11.45 in Spanish. Also, Celebrate Recovery meets each Monday night at 6.30. Well, speaking of our kids, I had this kind of abstract thought as a kid. That won't surprise you if you know me. Most of you think you still act like you're a kid and you still have some pretty weird abstract thoughts. But seriously, when I was a kid, I had this abstract thought idea I became so captivated with this idea, so just follow me for a minute, that I'm me, right? Now, you don't, you're not me, but I'm me, right? So as a kid, I was just captivated with this idea that I'm me, and I only get to experience life through this. So so my eyes and my ears and my senses and my smell, but every now and then as a kid, I would just wonder, what's it like for them over there? What's it like for you over there or you over there? Like, what does pizza taste like to you? Like, I know what pizza tastes like. Or, or, or I'm thinking this thought about something. I'm like, well, I wonder what that person over there is thinking about. I, I wonder what this smells. This smells awful to me, but I wonder what, you know, like gasoline. Some of you think that smells awesome, and that's kind of weird to me. But like, it's just an example. Like, I get to live my life through me and my senses and my experience, but I don't, get to, I don't get to know what it's like through you. And so every now and then I kind of have this weird kind of abstract idea as a kid. Like, what does it mean? What is, it, what is it like to live life through their senses, right? But we don't know, do we? We don't know. Maybe you can relate to that abstract idea, or maybe you're turning and you're like, look, I told you he was crazy. This is the proof. We've got it on film now, right? But, but the truth is we don't know because this, this is all we've got, right? This is all we get in the world. And because, though, because this is all I've got, there's this temptation that we have. There's this temptation to make this life all about me, right? Because me is all I've got. I don't get another shot at this. This is all I get, you know? So so because of that, the temptation, every day of our lives, every moment, is to just make it all about me. Because you are the only person you're going to live your whole life with. So easily, sometimes you become the focus, Right? becomes ingrained into everything we do. Look around us. Read, read advertisements and articles, news. Do you, right? That's what it says. Do you. Get what's coming to you. Work hard and get what you deserve. It's, it's all about you, right? Isn't that what we see every way? And honestly, I get it. Because I live in the world that you live in. And I experience the things that you do too. And sometimes I look around and say, yeah, this... Maybe this is about me. But you see, here's the challenge. Here's the challenge for those of us that proclaim to know Christ. Is that when you pull back all the layers and the nuances of Scripture, and you look at the gospel at its core, we find this foundational truth. That Jesus, Jesus is preparing. He's preparing to give up his life, to sacrifice himself. And he gives us this core truth of the gospel that we can't ignore. And it says, it's going to be on the screen behind me. It's, it's John chapter 13. And, and this is what Jesus says, right? This is his words. A new command I give you, love one another. Now this part wasn't new. This part they knew. 
But the next part is the new part. Look at what Jesus says. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Not, not, don't love as they have loved you. We talked about that last week. That's this reciprocity thing, and we go there really easily. They did this to me, I do that. They loved me, I'm going to love them back. That's kind of how we function in our humanness. When we live our life through the perspective of just me, 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 that's how we function. That's how we love. But now Jesus is saying a new command. This is central to the gospel claim of who Jesus was. A new command I give you. You must love as I have loved you. Jesus, reflection of the Father as he has loved you. Then, then he goes on to give us absolute clarity. Look with me at the next verse. By this, everyone will know. Everyone will know that you're my disciples. And, and we should be paying attention here, shouldn't we? Whether you've read this a hundred times or this is your first time hearing these words, this is Jesus, the Son of God, saying by this, everyone will know that you are, you are my followers, that you belong to me, that you identify with me. So, so whatever comes next, I'm hanging on every word. I don't know about you. By this, Jesus said, everyone will know that you are my disciples. What does he say? If, if you love one another. If you love one another. Couldn't you also state the converse of this? By this, everyone will know that you're not my disciples if you don't love one another. So central to the gospel, so central to the ministry and life of Jesus is this claim. It's not just true in the moment he says this. Think about, think about what's about to happen in Jesus' life. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to literally lay down his life for all of humanity, this prophetic statement that he's making, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is a love. He's calling them to a love that's bigger than even what they understand in this moment. Then he says the way that everyone will know that you belong to me, you're mine, is by how you love one another. So I suppose that's the question on the table this morning. How do you love? If central to the, we, we peel back all the layers and understand central to the claims of Christ is, is that he, we will be known by how we love one another. That's how we know if we belong to Christ, by how we love one another. So maybe the question for us today is how, how do you love? How do you love? The gospel calls us to a radical form a radical form of love, a love that forces us. It compels us to get our eyes off of ourselves, right? Abstract, uh, young kid, Adrian, thinking about just perspective and life through my eyes and my perspective, and so easy to make it all about me, but the gospel calls us to a love that forces us. It compels us to get our eyes and our focus off of ourselves. See, this is the fundamental problem that we have. I, I have it up here on the screen. Uh, I, this helped me. It challenged me, but it helped me. It hurts a little bit. See, this is the fundamental truth, that it can't be all about me and all about you at the same time. Now, think about that. I, nobody came in the room today and be like, it is all about me. Let me tell you. It is all about Nobody would have the audacity to admit that. But isn't that, isn't the lie that we sometimes believe? 
Isn't that husbands and wives? Sometimes the lie that creeps into your marriage, sometimes it's all about you and what you need and your happiness. I know I'm stepping on toes now. It's a little early for that, right? Isn't that the lie that we believe in our other relationships though? It's all about me, my happiness and my comfort. Isn't that the lie that's screaming at us every moment of every day? It's all about you. But the truth is, the truth is it can't be all about me and all about you at the same time. And so I think this second statement helps us even a little bit more look at it with me. The truth is also it can't be all about me and all about him at the same time. It can't be. It can't be. If the claim of Christ is true, then we, it's impossible to live a life that's all about me and all about him at the same time. That's, that's the problem we have, isn't it? John, who we just read from his gospel, he, he would say it this way earlier in his gospel. He would say it this way. I must decrease and he must increase. This is kind of what John was saying, wasn't it? It can't be all about me and all about him at the same time. I must decrease. He must increase. See, my life must be about full surrender to him. Full surrender. But the, the idea of surrender is hard for us, isn't it? Isn't it? Because surrender, surrender in a world in which we live, in a world in which we live where every message is, is screaming, it's all about you. It's all about you. Do whatever you need to do to make yourself happy, to make yourself feel better, to be as comfortable as possible. That's the message that screamed at us from every corner of everything that we look at and view and understand. So in a world like that, the idea of surrender seems like weakness and loss, doesn't it? We don't like the idea of surrender. See, the truth is we want, we want others to surrender to us. That's what it's about, right? right? We, we don't like the idea of surrendering anything to anyone. or any. We want people to surrender to us. Because surrender seems like loss and weakness. We value what we have. We value our rights in surrendering anything. Any amount of personal freedom or personal right, it seems so un-American, doesn't it? But as the case often is with Jesus, he turned the world's ideas upside down. And so it can't be all about me and all about him at the same time. We're faced with this idea of surrender, and the truth is, the truth is, these words that we just read, that we just heard Jesus proclaim, they became so profound. They became, some of you might be hearing those words and you've heard them before and you're like, man, we get it. Yeah, Jesus said love. No, 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 listen. These words were so transformative in the lives of early believers that they defined the movement of God through this thing. We now call it the church. But what was happening, if you read the Gospels, is after Jesus was nailed to a cross and crucified, and he rose again, and then he uh, ascended into heaven, and he commissioned his believers through the power of the Holy Spirit. The day of Pentecost comes, and, and the Spirit of God is unleashed. The Spirit of God is not confined to a location or a place anymore. It's unleashed among the people. And as that is happening, and as the church is born, these words, this idea became so profound that it transformed the world. 
The reason, the reason, in the, as we read in the book of Acts, that this movement of God was so captivating, it's because of how people acted, how they responded. This idea of surrender was not just some internal idea. It wasn't just some, some internal decision. This idea of surrender to God and choosing that it can't be all about me and all about him, this idea resulted in action, and it captivated captivated the world. There was such a deep and and a profound love for one another. It captivated the world. A radical generosity. Throughout the summer, I I can't get away from this idea. I can't get away this idea of, of biblical, radical generosity by which God invites us, calls us, commissions us to live our lives by. And this radical generosity is what defined the movement of God in the church. Literally, believers in Christ gave up themselves for one another. They, in surrendering fully to Christ, they, they found one another. And they met needs. And they laid down their lives for one another. And it captivated the world. There was, I wrote this down, there was a version of faith. There was a version of faith that made others want it to be true before they even had the capacity to believe it could be. Can you imagine a world like that? Imagine a world like that. A version of faith. A version of this idea that Jesus calls us to that is so real that people that are skeptical of what we believe are so, mo- are so in awe of how we treat them and how we love them that they're compelled and they're moved with compassion. I want that to be true because of the generosity they show, because of the way they love each other and the way they love me. They wanted it to be true before they even had the capacity to understand that it could be true for them. What would it be like? What would it be like if the people around you in your workplace or your school or your neighborhood. Think of love like that when they think of you. Can you imagine what would happen? Can you imagine what would happen? What would break loose in 2021 if the radical generosity of God got a hold of us like that? I said all of that to get us to 1 John chapter 3. So so would you help me today? Would you turn in your copy of Scripture with with the remaining time that we have together? I want to dive in just a few more verses together. Today, today's message is the gospel of generosity. The gospel of generosity that I believe central to the claims of Christ and who he is, is this idea of radical generosity that moves every part of our life, everything that we are. And here in 1 John chapter 3, we're experiencing the apostle John. We just read from John's gospel. Now we're reading 1 John chapter 3. And you say, what is 1 John? Uh, This is the apostle John. Now we're fast forwarding to the end of his life. He's lived a, a life where he's gotten to see firsthand and experience the life of Jesus, the claims of Jesus. He's been an eyewitness to the accounts and the things that have happened here. And now at the end of his life, he, he saw the miracles, and he heard the teaching, and he witnessed the crucifixion. He experienced the devastation as his friend, his Savior, was executed on the cross. He experienced the supernatural resurrection, and then as the Spirit of God descended on Pentecost, the church is exploding, this movement of God, and now at the end of his life, John is exiled to the island of Patmos. 
He's exiled because of his faith, because of his role as a leader in this movement of God, the church. And he's taking a few moments to reflect on all that he's seen and all that he's experienced. And these are the words I want us to land on. 1 John 3. Look with me at verse 11 and imagine for a minute we're not reading just scripture. And imagine for a minute you're reading like a personal letter written to you from a friend, from somebody who's, who's gone before you, who's lived life a little bit more than you, who's a little bit more seasoned than you are, and has experienced firsthand the reality of the gospel of Christ. And he's writing to you to share these deep truths with you. Look with me, 1 John 3, verse 11. For this, for this is the message you've heard from the beginning, John says. We should love one another. He's kind of revisiting these central claims of Christ, isn't he? This is the message you've heard from the very beginning. You know it to be true, love one another. And then he gives this example from the Old Testament of Cain and Abel. But skip down with me to verses 14 through 18. That's really where we're going to land today, okay? This is what he says in verse 14. We know, we know that we have passed from death to life because... We love each other. Think about what John is saying here. He's making a definitive statement at the end of his life. As he reflects back and thinks about the ministry and the life of Jesus, he can't get away from this idea how central love is. This is how we know that the transformation power of God is a reality in us. How we love the generous love of God flowing through us. That's how we know that we've experienced the transformation of Christ in our lives. He continues in verse 14. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Again, a bold claim, right? At the end of his life. This is a bold claim that if love is absent from our lives, we, we're living in death. We're living in death. We haven't experienced the reality of Christ. If love is not present in our lives, ouch, that hurts. Then what he says in verse 16, this is how we know what love is. This is the gospel in a verse. 1 John 3, 16, this is the gospel right here. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Don't miss what John says next. Again, he's, reflect, he's experienced this. He was an eyewitness. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And what does he say? We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is the gospel that his love given for us. And because of that, we're compelled to do something. Because of that, surrender begins to take root in our hearts. And we're moved to do things that we wouldn't do on our own. If we were living according to the world and according to the flesh where it's all about me, we wouldn't operate this way. But because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, man, we, we got to lay down our lives for others. We've got to allow his generosity to somehow take root in us and compel us to love others. It makes a difference in our lives. This is the gospel. This is the gospel truth. 
And you may say, you may say, uh, we ought to lay down our lives for brothers and sisters. Well, who is my brother or sister? Well, well, somebody came to Jesus once and asked that. They asked it a little bit this way. Who is my neighbor? You say, love your neighbor, right? Well, what does that mean, Jesus? And Jesus defined it this way. He, he told a story, you know the story, the Good Samaritan. And in doing so, Jesus defined it this way. Your neighbor, your brother or sister is anyone who has a need. Doesn't matter if they're a Jew or a Samaritan. Doesn't matter if they look like you, talk like you, believe what you believe. Doesn't matter if they share your culture. Your, no, 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 no. Jesus defined what it meant to be a neighbor, to be a brother or sister, is anyone who has a need. So this is what Jesus is saying. He is saying, what's the message of the gospel? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we are compelled to lay down our life for anyone who has a need. Anyone who has a need. One of my favorite things that I get to do each and every month, there's, I have a lot of favorite things. One of my favorite things that I get to do every month, not, not as a pastor, but just as a person, is to serve at, at Hope Distributed. Right up the hill here, many of you may be aware, maybe you're not, uh, that we have a, a mission partnership with Hope Distributed, 501c3, who their mission is to distribute hope through, through food and clothing and furniture in every day, every week, every month, Hundreds and hundreds of people in our community are impacted through the ministry of Hope Distributed. And honestly, I have like nothing to do with the NF. I just get to show up and volunteer once a month, but it's one of the favorite favorite things I get to do. I have a picture on the screen. Uh, week before last, we were part of Best Week Ever. Some of you are a part of that. Some of you might have missed it, but we, we as a church were commissioned into our community to just serve and love and share the generosity of God with others. And so this is one picture of our Hope Distributed volunteers at a, a part of our local community. I think Rodolfo here is like modeling the slushy for everybody, but I love Hope Distributed. I love it. In fact, during uh, Best Week Ever, next slide, I got to be a part of serving at one of our pantries with my kids. They got to be up and come, and I just loved hearing them because they're in school often. They don't get to do it, but they just said, Dad, I love that. was so fun. I love doing that. I love being a part of it, and that's, that's true. I love being a part of Hope Distributed because I get to interact with our community. I get to interact with people that are very different than me whose background or lifestyle, or they're not people I would normally get to run into. I get to see them month after month. I get to learn their names and their stories. I get to speak blessing over their life just through a word of encouragement, through a box of food. I get to serve alongside other people in our church, and our community. But you know why? I think, you know why I think it's one of the best things I get to do? It's because it's one time on my calendar. I put it on my calendar, and every, like you, life can get really full and really busy. But every time that comes, I go, oh, that's my time. I'm going to be there. That's it. But it's one time on my calendar every month where I get to practice the generosity of our great God. Now, I hope, I hope it's not the only time on my calendar. I hope today I could show you other times and places on my calendar where maybe I didn't always plan it, maybe it just happened, but I hope there's other times throughout my calendar, but, but at least I know there's one spot, there's one place where, where I get to practice generosity. I keep using that term with us, there, but, but I think it's so important. So we have to practice generosity because we've experienced the generosity of God that I, I literally, in my daily, in my weekly life, I need to practice being generous because why, why? I'm a selfish guy. Can I be honest with you? I'm selfish. I don't like to share. I, I know some of you are appalled by that. Like, oh, come on, you're that way too, right? On our own, we're selfish. 
We don't like to give. We don't like to surrender. And so for me, I, I need intentional moments throughout my day, throughout my week, throughout my calendar, where I just get to practice being generous, where I get to, to say, oh, today, Father, I surrender to your spirit, your generous love in my life. And so I love that there's at least one time in my month where I can say, man, today I get to practice generosity. I leave sweaty, kind of tired, but my heart is full because I get to practice. You know, I get to love people with the generous love of Jesus Christ. And if John, 1 John 3.16 is true, if 1 John 3.16 is true, if it's true that Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for anyone who has a need, then hope distributed for me is just one opportunity. It's not the only one. It's one opportunity to allow that expression of love to take root in my life, to allow that generosity of God to take root in my life, the gospel of generosity. How about you? There's hungry people in our community, right? Brothers and sisters are hungry because of what Jesus has done for me. I can't just stand by. I got to be a part. I got to do something about that. There's people in my life that have need. I can't turn my back and do nothing. This is the gospel at at work in our lives, isn't it? We are compelled, we are compelled to pay less attention to ourselves and more, much more to others. And let me tell you, that's a work of surrender, isn't it? Because on my own, I'm always going to pay attention to me. I'm always going to care about me. I'm always going to make my needs most important. But because of the gospel of generosity, I'm compelled to care much more about the needs of others, even than my own. Look, look, we're almost done. Verse 17, keep reading with me. This is what John says. If anyone, if anyone has a material possession and sees a brother or sister in need, again, who's brother and sister? Anyone who has a need, right? So so if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person. Stop with me for a minute because this is like a really clunky translation right here. You you know that the Bible was not originally written in English. If you didn't know that, you know now. Um, It was originally written, the New Testament, in Greek. And so, as can be the case when you're translating from one language to another, sometimes words just don't translate that well. And this is a really good example because this is like the has no pity on them. That's kind of like a a really want, want way to translate. If you look at the translation of 1 John 3, 17, it's actually this idea. It's it's really funny. This word in the Greek is speaking about your bowels, which might gross you out for a minute, but just follow me for a minute. It's this idea in the English language, we don't know what to do with it, but, but the phrase in the Greek, it's referring to your, brow, uh, your bowels, not your brows, but your bowels. And, and this is what it's really saying. It's about feeling something so strongly, you feel it in your gut. You know what I'm saying? It's more than feeling it here, maybe even more than feeling it here. You feel it here in your gut. If you don't believe me, consider, consider these words. I don't have them on the screen, but consider these words in the King James Version. Another version, again, trying to somehow translate from the Greek into English. Look, this is what it says in the King James. But, but uh, who seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion. Right? The King James literally says, if anyone has material possessions, sees brother and sister in need, and, and you shut up your bowels of compassion. There's an image for you, right? Your bowels of compassion. What is it saying? What is John saying? This is what he's saying. Literally, 
Literally, if seeing a need causes you to freeze up, to close up, to shrink back, then you don't get it. That's what John's saying here. If seeing a brother or sister, seeing someone in need, causes you to freeze up or step back or say, ah, then you don't get it. You don't get it. If you experienced Jesus as I did, is what John's saying. If you saw what I saw, if you experienced what I did, there would never be a moment that seeing a need of someone else's life causes you to freeze up, to step back. If you experience the radical, generous love of God that I saw in Jesus, that could not happen to you again. Your bowels of compassion, you would never shrink back again. Because if Jesus, if Jesus gave his life for that person, and that person, and that person over there, if that's true, then I can spare a dollar. I can spare a a few minutes. I can spare my focus and my attention, right? Because of what Jesus has done for me. For me. Finally, verse, verse 18. Dear children, dear children, let us, Not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. The perfect recap, right? John, at the end of his life, as he's reflecting back on what the love of God has done in him, for him, through him. He says, oh, brothers and sisters, let's not love with with words. Let's not love speech, by what we say. Let's, let's love in truth. Don't just talk about it. Do it. Don't just say, don't just say that the love of God is transforming you. Let it show up somewhere in your life. Practice generosity. Find ways that you're willing to risk it, to step out and express the love of God. To anyone that has a need, if we see that need and we shrink back, then, then how can we say that the generous love of God is really in us? Because if you saw what I saw, John said, you, you couldn't have that reaction ever again. Let's, let's not just talk about it anymore. Let's do it. Let's do it. John's reflecting on it all, and he's saying, live it. Act on it. The kingdom of God exploded as the Spirit of God inhabited his people. And they didn't just preach about it. They didn't just teach about it. They didn't even just sing about it. They lived it. The gospel of generosity. I was thinking this week, uh, I've got two daughters. Uh, Many of you know them. My my oldest daughter is very musical, and uh, she loves to, to play the piano. And over the last year and a half, we've had a lot of time to play the piano. Uh, we've been stuck inside a lot, and so she's, got, she's gotten, like, good. She sits there, figures out stuff. It's beautiful. doesn't get any of that stuff from me. But uh, many days, many, many days, hear the piano being played, and she's singing all kinds of stuff, stuff on the radio, old songs, worship stuff, all over the place. I was like, who was that? What was that by? Always singing stuff. It's beautiful. Sometimes my other daughter plays the piano, and she's four. And her spirit is joyful, and she's exuberant, and, and maybe for a little while it's cute, you know. <laughs> but then after a while, it's this, and maybe I know enough about music to be dangerous, but it's, it's this, I'll use this word, dissonance. 
It's these two notes that were never intended to be played at the same time. Anybody who plays them at the same time, and you know about music, it's like torture. It's like, ah! So, so at like five seconds in, I'm like smiling, and oh, I love you, Glory. This sounds beautiful. And 10 seconds in, I'm like sweating a little bit. 15 seconds in, I'm like, girlfriend, can you please stop? Because dad's going to like get in the fetal position in a minute. Because this is like torture for me. These two notes, dun, 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 right over and over again. It's, it's dissonance. I looked up that word. I looked up that definition. You, you know, it, it can mean inconsistency, a disagreement. In music, it's, it's a mingling of sounds that strike the ear harshly. That's a really nice way that I should say, Glory, um, that's a mingling of sounds that strike my ear harshly. No, I just stop, you know, right? but why do I talk about that today? Some of us today in our life, we have some dissonance. We have, what is what's the definition of that word, it's an instance of inconsistency. Some of us, and it's not because we're bad people, and it's not because our hearts don't desire to love the Lord, and it's not because, it's not because we're just saying, oh, forget you, God, I'm going to do my thing. That, that might not be it for you today. Maybe today you love the Lord passionately. Maybe today you've been a part of the church your whole life. Maybe today there's not a single word of scripture you haven't heard before. And, and you love the Lord and you believe this is true, but we live in a world that is so focused on me, 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 that if we're not careful, we can live our lives not according to a gospel of generosity, but a gospel of self. And it didn't happen overnight. Maybe it wasn't some traumatic thing, but, but, but slowly, surely, over time, you start getting your focus off. You start just one degree at a time getting off, and before you know it, there's some dissonance in your life. There's some dissonance where you read this word and you place it over the grid of your life and you're saying, I, I think I talk about this. I think I might sing about this. I would probably share this verse on my social media feed, but I'm not, I'm not sure today in my life I'm totally living it. I'm not sure today that, that I, I hear about surrender, I know about surrender, I'm just not sure every part of me today reflects that truth. There's some dissonance and today, my life, if it were a song lifted up to the Lord, there's a few notes there that are, that are causing them to be a little cringy. Because I say this is true in my life. I want it to be true in my life, but today there's some, some dissonance. So today we're, we're gonna, we've intentionally allowed time to spend some moments together, coming before the Lord, reflecting on his generous love, but not just, not just reflecting on it, not just singing about it, oh, that was great, but, but considering today, where's the dissonance in my life? Where is it today that I need to act? Where is it today? Where is that relationship or that opportunity? Or that, where is it that God's saying, I need you to act, to respond, to move? Don't just talk about it. Don't just sing about it. Respond. Be obedient. Where is it today that you're resisting surrender, where you're allowing it to be a little bit more about me, 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 when the truth is it can't be all about me and all about him at the same time? 
So church family, I'm gonna invite you right now to, to bow your heads. Would you do that with me? Would you just close your eyes? And why do we do that? We just remove distractions. We are so distracted, aren't we? I believe this is a sacred space and a holy moment and a holy opportunity for us in the presence of the living God to allow him to speak, to allow his spirit to come and show us, lead us, teach us, guide us. Today, we're, we're gonna do something we haven't done in a while. We have places uh, here at the front of the church where sometimes, sometimes you just need a place to come and you need to pray and, and there's nothing magical about it, but sometimes you just need to commit. You need to move. You need a physical place where you can kneel and say, right there at that place at that moment, I surrendered. I said yes to God. I said no to me. And through the past year, we haven't really been able to do that a lot, but today, as we pray, some of us might wanna come forward to an altar and pray. Because in doing so, we're not trying to make a grand show or hey, everybody, look at me. We're just saying today, I need to move and I need to respond and I need to take a step today. I need to allow the generous love of God to compel me. So right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, some, some of our pastors and our leaders, they're gonna come forward right now. You, you won't be alone. They're gonna pray. They're gonna provide a presence of prayer. Some of us today just need to respond. Do it now. Don't wait. If, if the Lord's speaking to you today, if the Lord is prompting your heart to say, there's that thing in your life you haven't surrendered. There's that place you keep pushing back. There's that place in your heart where you haven't allowed my love to really come and heal you. Would you come today? Would you consider coming and responding, not to me, but to the generous love of God? As we pray, you're invited to come. Father, you see us today and you know us. We can't play games with you. We can't hide from you and we don't want to today. Some of us today, there's some dissonance in our hearts. There's some places in our lives where we might be reading about it. We might be hearing about it. We might know it. I'm not sure we're always living it, God. Today, my burden, my heart is for the one. For the one today that, that would be healed. For the one today that would be set free. For the one today that would know how deeply loved they are. Come, speak to us now, we pray. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.